Welcome to the MWC Church Podcast. This is Stephen Luna, the lead pastor. I just want to take a second to say thank you for listening, and I hope you find that this inspires you in your relationship with Christ. Now here's this week's sermon. So we're in this series, The Gifts of the Spirit. We're in week six. Give yourself a round of applause. Six weeks so far. Uh, There are nine gifts of the Spirit, so we're so close to the finish line. You're almost there. Uh, Man, if you are here this morning and if you've ever been in a race, you know that that three quarters of the way is usually when you hit that wall, right? Like you're like, oh, I I can't do this anymore. I want to quit. Don't quit now. Keep keep pressing in. Keep jumping in. These, These gifts of the Spirit, they're for the church. Everybody say gift. There's two things you do with the gift. You either give it or you receive it. And when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit, we are all on the receiving end. And I pray that you receive every good and perfect gift God has for you. So, so man, these gifts that we see in 1 Corinthians 12, they are still for the church. There is nothing which we read in the scriptures that are not for us, that every promise is for us, that the gifts of the Spirit, that the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, all of that stuff is for the church. It's for the equipping of the saints who's a saint, all of us, right? Uh, It's for the body of Christ. We need the gifts of the Spirit. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, we we begin to see Paul lay out exactly uh, what the nine, what we call the manifestation gifts, because that's what they call a manifestation. It simply means a display of the power of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 12, let's go ahead and read these this morning. 1 Corinthians 12, so it says this. Paul starts off, he says this, to each one, is given the manifestation of the Spirit, right? To each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. What is the purpose of the gifts of the Spirit? They're for the common good. They're for the, uh, the advancement of the body of Christ. They're for your and my betterment, my improvement, our improvement. It's for our sharpening, our, it's, just, it's for our good. But Paul is saying, actually, he starts off this whole portion of Scripture. He says this, now concerning the gifts of the Spirit, I don't want you to be ignorant. I want you to know. I don't want you to be unknowing about the gifts of the Spirit. So his desire is that we as the church would, would take this serious and say, how can we grow ourselves to move in the power of the Holy Spirit? He says this, continuing on, he says, uh, for one, or to one, given through the Spirit, the utterance of wisdom, and to another, the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. Now, pause there. If, if you would have stopped, you're like, it's, so it's my job to accrue all of these gifts, right? Like, like my, my goal is to level up as a Christian. And once I level up, I get all of these gifts. And it's like a video game. Like, the more you go further in the game, the more powers you get. And if you would have been, like, just stop there, you probably could have gone there. But, but look what he says. He goes to verse 11, and he says this. All of these, all of these gifts of the Spirit are the work of one and the same Spirit. And listen to this. And he... God, the Holy Spirit, distributes them to each one just as he determines. So here's what we see about the gifts of the Spirit so far, that they are for the embetterment of the body. They're they're for the power of the body. They're for walking in in greater intimacy with God. We see that that, uh, Paul doesn't want anybody to be ignorant concerning the gifts. He wants us to know about them. We also see this, that he is the one who distributes them as he determines. 
So there is no like impartation. I can't say, all right, whoever wants the gift of, of, of tongues, and inter- tongues and interpretation, whoever wants the gift of, 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 of uh, a word of knowledge, come up here, and I'm just going to give that to you. That's, that's not the way it works. It's the Holy Spirit who distributes them according to what he sees the need in the body of Christ. So what do we do? We just say, Lord, give me the gifts. Give me what you desire to give me. He says he's the one who distributes. He's the one who determines what we need when we need it. But what does Paul say? Keep seeking the greater gifts. Keep seeking the gifts of the Spirit. So we just pray, Lord, help us, use us. Give us, give us insight, give us wisdom. Allow us to be used in these ways. So here, 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 are they, here are the nine gifts that we see in 1 Corinthians 12 listed. The word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, faith, healing. We would uh, scratch out healing. Miracles, prophecy, discerning spirits, tongues, and interpretation. So you already see tongues, interpretation, prophecy scratched out or struck out. Uh, that means we've already taught them. It doesn't mean we don't believe them. Um, we're not Thomas Jefferson. We don't take the things we don't like out of the Bible and just keep the things we do like. Um, so tongues and interpretation, we've already taught on that. You can look, go back and listen to that message. And prophecy, we've already taught on that. Last week, we talked about healing. And this week, we're going to jump into two gifts of the Spirit. Man, it's a double whammy, a buy one, get one free this morning again. Uh, We're going to be talking about the gifts of faith. Everybody say faith. And the gift of miracles. Miracles. Everybody say miracles. So faith, healing, and miracles. Those are are three peas in a pot. That's not how it goes, but they are, okay? Um, We said last week that the gift of healing is a sign, a symbol, and a side effect of the love and power of Jesus. Whenever we pray for healing, and God brings healing, that it is simply a sign, a symbol, and the side effect of of the love and power of Jesus. God doesn't wait for us to to work our way. Like When he brings healing power, it's simply him saying, this is a sign of my kingdom. It's a symbol of my love. It's the side effect of the gospel being proclaimed. It's all about him. So we receive it and embrace it as a sign of love and a demonstration of his power. We said this, that they are intended for physical, mental, and spiritual healing. That if ever there's a moment where you are feeling physically sick, maybe you're going through some emotional turmoil or or there's mental things that you're working through or even spiritual things that you're struggling with, that God desires to heal. And it's okay for us to pray, Lord, can you heal me? In fact, it's encouraged for us to go to each other and say, hey, I could really use some prayer in this area of my life. I need some healing emotionally, mentally, physically. Uh, God does not want us to be his, his last resort. He wants us to choose him as our first option. So yes, go to the doctor. Yes, go to counselors and psychologists. Those things are, are common graces. God has blessed us with that wisdom and insight, but it is okay. In fact, it is encouraged to go to someone that you love and say, hey, can I pray for your healing? Can we, can we agree together or, or can you pray for, for me to be healed? I, I need help in this area. It's 100% okay to do that and we encourage that in the church. But who's able to be healed, right? I had somebody come up to me, Pastor, um, am I a candidate? Who, who's a candidate to be healed? Like, is that just anybody? And my response to that is yes. There have been moments in, in the church where someone has taught that, that you need to be a Christian in order to be healed, that, that in order to experience a, a, a literal supernatural Holy Spirit healing, you need to first give your life to Jesus. And I would say this, there is nowhere in Scripture that teaches that at all. In fact, if you look through the Gospels, there's a point in Scripture where there were 10 lepers. Remember that point in Scripture where there's 10 lepers and, and they're, they're walking uh, from Galilee to Jerusalem? 
And on their way, they see Jesus from a corner. And I don't know if Jesus had like a t-shirt that everybody recognized or what, but they recognized there was Jesus from a distance. And they're like, yo, Jesus, can you, can you heal us? Because they couldn't come to Jesus because they were unclean. They were lepers. They had leprosy. And, and at that point in time, you wouldn't spread disease by going to those that weren't sick. But, but something happened in Jerusalem where they said if you were unclean, um, you could not even enter into fellowship with the mass society. You can't even come into the temple. You couldn't even go to the place of healing because you would have gotten everybody sick. So, so these people were outcasts in society. And they see Jesus from a distance. And they say, Jesus, can you heal us? And the scriptures tell us that one of them was a Jew and nine of them were Samaritans, meaning that they didn't fully adhere to all the beliefs of, of God. And Jesus says, go show yourself to the priests. And you think that Jesus could have just been like, bam, you're healed. But instead he says, go show yourselves to the priests. So they're like, all right. And as they are walking to the temple in faith, saying, listen, we are clean. We are whole. Whenever there was a healing that would happen, whenever God would heal, you would show yourself to the priests and they would verify that the healing happened. So when they're asking for healing, they haven't been healed already. But Jesus is saying, go show yourself to the priests because I am saying you are going to be healed. So as they're marching to Jerusalem, they realize that, they, that their, their, their leprosy, the scales on their skin, the scabs, they're just falling off. And, and in its place is complete healing. And, and they're jumping for joy. They're super excited. They're, they're, they're outcasts no longer. And one of the lepers is like, oh my goodness, he was the, a Samaritan. He runs back to Jesus. And the Samaritans and the Jews did not get along. But he runs back to Jesus, falls at his feet and worships and says, thank you, Jesus. You're my master. You're my savior. And now I know you're my healer. The guy gets up and Jesus looks to his disciples and says, didn't I heal 10 of them? Where, where were the other nine? Now the other nine were not believers, but Jesus healed them because of the compassion he had, because he saw the people and he loved them. So, so it, whether or not you know Jesus, I'm here to tell you this morning that God loves you and he can and does desire to bring healing into your life. However, the greatest healing we can experience is the separation being removed from our lives spiritually from God. Coming to God, coming to the Father and becoming a child of Christ is the greatest healing anyone can ever experience. And I would even say that more than the physical healing that you're desiring, God desires to bring spiritual healing. He's more concerned with your eternal healing than he is with your temporal healing. But he still, because he loves us, heals temporally, amen? So who's a candidate? Everyone. But who is a candidate to be used through the gifts of the Spirit, through the gift of healing? I would say anybody who's a Christian. You, should, you do need to be a Christian to navigate and operate under the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Why would I say that? Well, I love my son, August. He's four years old. I love him. One day I will give him the keys to my car and say, hey, you know, you can drive this car. Um, however, that day is not now because he is only four years old and he's not ready to drive that, that car. He's not ready for that. So even though I'm a, a good dad and I like to give good gifts, I am not going to give that gift to my son who is not ready to receive it. The moment you become a follower of Jesus, you are already qualified to receive the gifts of the Spirit. So I would say this, if, if you don't know Jesus... He would desire, not, not, I mean, he'll heal you, he'll do anything like that before you're a follower of Jesus. You can see those gifts, but to be used by them, you must first become a follower of Jesus. You must first experience the, the gift of salvation. Amen? So, 
God has been healing in this church. In fact, I was talking to some of the elders yesterday and we're like, man, we need to start documenting all the things God has done in the last couple of months because it is crazy. Um, we, I, I received message yesterday. Just, I mean, just in our Saturday night service, let, let's not, I mean, let's not, we don't have to get into all of Sunday morning. Sunday morning, we've been seeing a lot of healing. We've had people who were uh, experiencing complications in pregnancy. Like it's, it's just completely uh, made whole. God is bringing healing there. We've seen people who have been walking with canes, like no longer needing them and getting strength to their legs. Uh, on Saturday night, let me just tell you a couple of things that are happening in our Saturday night service. We had one uh, lady who had just had horrible intestinal issues for the last couple of months. She, I mean, she can't even stand upright. She's like, she's in, she's in constant pain. Well, me and another elder were, were just prayed for her. And she said, the moment we prayed, she texted me this in the car. She's like, the moment you prayed, I, we felt completely, I, I felt completely better. And uh, she said, pray for me because I go to the doctor in a week from now and I'm gonna, get, I'm gonna get fully tested. She went to the doctor last week and the doctor said, there is nothing wrong with your intestines. You are completely, like there, there's literally, like I think, I think you just witnessed a miracle. She is completely healed. That is the power of God. So man, let's, let's continue to press in and to pray for healing. Let's believe that God desires to do powerful things. You know, so we, we talked about healing and now we're gonna be jumping into the gifts of miracles. Everybody say miracles and the gifts of faith. But before I do, I kinda wanna tell you that these are, are, are three, they go, they go together. Faith, healing, and miracles go together. Like, interpret, like tongues and interpretation, I said that was peanut butter and jelly. Uh, I would say that the gift of faith, the gift of miracles, and the gift of healings are like a double-layered cake. My wife's like, man, why are you using all these illustrations of food? And I'm like, I think it's because when I'm writing these sermons, I'm just hungry, right? Like peanut butter and jelly sandwich, a double-layered cake. Uh, I'm not a desserts person, but there are two desserts I do like. I love my wife's lemon bars, and I love yellow cake with chocolate frosting. That's it. Like, don't, don't give me a pie. Actually, I guess I'll take a peek on our key lime pie. I guess I do like dessert. It's just revel. Someone's giving me like this gift of, of knowledge or something because I, I think I do like, I do, maybe I do like dessert, but uh, yellow cake, chocolate frosting. Anybody else? Yellow cake, chocolate frosting. Like, yeah, yes, you guys are my people after this. We'll just buy ourselves a big old one from Costco and just share it. Ah, anyway, so uh, I, would, I would teach that the gifts of, of, of healing, the gift of miracles, and, and the gift of faith are kind of like that. Like on the, on the first layer, you have uh, healing. On the second one, you have miracles. And then faith is, is what keeps it all together. Like frosting, keeping both of those layers together. This is how I would teach on the gifts of healing, faith, and miracles. I came up with this illustration here. So in the middle circle there, you have healings. Oh, it's gone. There it is. Okay, in the middle circle, you have healings. Uh, on, on the outer circle there, you have miracles. And on the furthest one out, you have faith. Now, I would say this. All healings are considered miracles. Every healing that God has ever accomplished is considered a miracle. However, not all miracles are considered healings. Not all miracles are considered healings. There are some things that God does that are supernatural but they're not necessarily considered healing. However, all healing and all miracles require faith. They require the gift of faith. So healings, they're miracles. Not all miracles are healings. Faith is required for both miracles and healing. So what's a healing? Healing is this, it's God's love and power displayed through the physical and spiritual and or emotional restoration of people. Whenever God 
changes something in your life, physically, emotionally, or spiritually, brings some restoration there, that is a sign of healing. But a miracle is something entirely different. A miracle is this, God's love and power displayed in situations, experiences, or circumstances seen through supernatural phenomena. It's a mouth, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a loaded statement, but I would say this. If I were to simplify, what, what's a miracle? What's the difference between a miracle and a healing? I would say this, miracle are, miracles are moments when the author of the law of physics temporarily adjusts his rules for his glory and the good of his people. Whenever the author of the law of physics adjusts his rules for his glory and for the goodness of his people, that is considered a miracle. Where do we see these in scripture? Jesus walking on water. Now, physics would tell us you can't walk on water uh, unless you're one of those like little lizards that run really fast. But Jesus ain't a little lizard that runs really fast. Don't quote me on that. Don't put me on Instagram like Jesus isn't a little, anyway. Um, I just know some of you guys, <laughs> anyway, let's keep going. Um, so, so we know that the laws of physics, when they are adjusted temporarily, because God is the author of them, if he's the one who wrote the book, he can, change, he can change the rules. So whenever he adjusts the rules, that is a, a miracle. Um, another instance, whenever we see in the first miracle, water being transformed into wine in the, at the wedding feast in Cana. Give it up for Jesus, everybody, turning water into wine. Good God. <laughs> anyway, some of you are like, hallelujah, glory. <laughs> but whenever he did that miracle, I mean, I mean, look at it. At the molecular level, there is no changing water into wine. And, and I don't care what your granny tells you, that was not grape juice. It was wine. Um, water into wine, that is a, a, a law of physics. The law of physics would say that is impossible, but he changed that. Why? It was, it was a miracle. He, had, he adjusted the rules. Now, now don't misquote me. I, haven't, I, don't get, I don't get a chance to get into the, the teaching of why he would do that at, at the wedding feast. But we see these as actual miracles that we see in the Bible. You know, I, I've had the privilege of experiencing a few in my, in my life. When I was in college, um, there was a point where there was a, a huge storm. I went to school in Springfield, Missouri. I'm originally from Chicago. We have bad snowstorms, but that's about it. We don't get much crazy weather. We don't get tornadoes or anything like that. But when I moved to Missouri, they were getting like tornadoes all the time. All the time. It was like uh, hail and tornadoes were just a norm. Kansas, you guys get it. Uh, we've been here, and now we're just like, we're oblivious. Now we just like look out the windows. We're like, wow, this is awesome, right? Um, but I, I just remember when I was in, in Missouri, this was for me and some of my friends, especially the, my, I had some, uh, some international students in, in, my, in my hall. We had some people from Ecuador and uh, different parts in South America and Africa. Like we were terrified. We're like, we don't get this. Right? Like, like this is crazy for us. Uh, so we just started praying one time during a tornado season. Um, there was a huge like six mile storm coming in and it was coming towards our school. Well, me and a couple of my friends, we, we just started praying in our hall. We're like, God, can you protect this school? Can you keep any, uh, any storms from coming around us? Can you guard us and protect us? And we're just praying. And uh, we found out later through a friend who was there who saw us praying and joined us in prayer. He sent us a picture later um, of, of, of the radar. There was literally a protection, like literally a circle of protection going around our school that as the storm was coming, you can see it on the radar, like literally all of Springfield, Missouri was covered in storms, and yet our school had a circle around it. Every, like on the hour, every hour, you could see the, the change, and there was nothing touching our school. That was a miracle. Amen. Where the laws of physics were being altered for the glory of God and the good of his people. 
Uh, we also, I mean, just an example, it's a silly one, but uh, how many of you know that God uh, does miracles big and small, right? Uh, there was one time where my sister-in-law, Rihanna, she uh, just got back from the hair salon and she was, she was, you know, she looked really good and she always looks good, but she was looking really good and she said this, she was sitting in her car and she was just devastated and we're like, Rih, what happened? Like, do you not like your, uh, your hair looks great? And she's like, no, I, I, I cash apped the wrong person the, the payment that I was supposed to send. I was supposed to send it to the hairstylist and I accidentally sent it to the wrong person and uh, this person I've never met before and they, they, they try to look this individual up on, on Facebook and turns out that this, this girl was shady, like she was a drug dealer and all this stuff and, and my, my, my sister-in-law just literally sent a couple, I mean, just so a good amount of money to the wrong person on uh, that the cash app and uh, she was just like devastated and she, she's like, man, there's no way we're gonna get this money. In fact, even the, the cash app has this, has this rule in place that it says if there's ever a point where you send the wrong money that they are completely absolved, that they can't, they can't do anything to resolve your issue. So she was just devastated. She's like, oh my gosh, all this money and guess what? I still have to pay the hairstylist. I don't got that kind of money. And, and we just, you know, we just gathered together and, and, uh, in the living room and we're just like, we just prayed. We're like, God, um, may you shift the heart of this individual who does not know you to give back the crazy amount of money, uh, <laughs> the crazy amount of money that we just gave to the wrong person. God, can, can you move in her heart to give that money back? And I kid you not, within the hour, that money was brought back to my sister-in-law. She had, the, the other lady had no obligation to do so, but she gave it back. Here's why. Because the spirit of God supernaturally moved in her heart and caused her to give back. I believe that. I believe that, and if you know what, if he wouldn't have done that to her heart, I believe that God could have gone in there because God's the master coder. He could have gone in there and just take the money out of her account and threw it back in Rihanna. Like a, he could do that. God is powerful, uh, and we saw, we saw a miracle. I mean, that's a small thing, but that is, that is a, a miracle of God. Another example, uh, one time, uh, now I, I'm, I'm kind of the individual, maybe, maybe you identify with, with this. Um, I used to err on the side of believing, you know, God, I, I can handle this, I'll use you when, I, when things are out of my, 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 my power, right? If they're out of my realm of ability, then that's when I'll lean on God, and, th- and that's silly. Like, we can go to God for anything and everything. Uh, but, but again, I, I, I'm naturally wired to think, God, I don't want to bother you sometimes, and uh, he, he's corrected me on that so many times. There was a point where uh, I was driving to church one Sunday morning, and my car began to just, uh, it was just like literally shaking and rocking and making loud noises. And, and I told my wife and kids, I'm like, why don't you guys just stay home? Because I have a feeling that the car is not gonna make it and I'm gonna have to call Pastor Justin to pick me up on the side of the road to bring me to church. So you guys just stay home and, and I'll just drive. And literally the car is like shaking at every corner. People are honking at me. Like it was, it was just bad. It was really bad. I pull up to church. I, I thank the Lord and I get here and uh, I began talking to, to Bob Kropp, one of our elders. I'm like, yeah, Bob, my, my car's acting silly and it's being weird. And he's like, well, hey, after church, let's go, let's go look at it. I'm like, great. Paul's mechanically inclined. I, I don't know anything. I still go into AutoZone looking for uh, a blinker fluid. Like, I, I don't know anything about cars. <laughs> so Bob and I are, are, are after service. We preach. We get out there. And, and I'm expecting Bob to kind of like pull some, some, some sticks out of there and do some things and check some oil and check some different things. And, and he, he doesn't do anything, anything like that. He rolls up his sleeves. He places his hand on the engine and he's like, Pastor, let's pray. And I'm thinking, Bob, I'll just, I'll just go to a mechanic later. And he's like, no, let, let's pray. And I'm like, all right. And Bob just begins to pray, God, thank you. You are the creator of everything. 
You are the one who, who's given us the wisdom to even design this, this engine. And right now, Pastor Steve needs a miracle. God, can you just bring healing to this car? And, I, and meanwhile, remember, I'm thinking, I'm like, ah, I can just go to a mechanic. Thanks, Bob. I mean, I'm the pastor of this church, and here I'm like, nah, don't we? I don't know. No, let's not go to God for this. Let's not bother him. He, he's busy. And, and literally, Bob and I are just praying, God, heal this car, heal this car. And I promise you, he's like, hey, why don't you start it up? I get in the car, I turn it on, it starts like nothing, and to this day, it's been a couple of months now, to this day, my car has not had any issues. I'm telling you, this thing was about to die, like the wheels are about to fall off, and then afterwards, God just completely healed, brought this miraculous power into my vehicle. That is the miracle power of God. So whatever you need, you can go to him for, prayer, for, for healing, for a miracle. That is how powerful our God is. That's how powerful he is. Now, when it comes to the gift of faith, however, Here's the fact. All miracles and all healings require faith. Say faith. Now, there's two kinds of faith in Scripture. There's a saving faith, which is for salvation. Um, that, however, is not the gift of faith that he's talking about in 1 Corinthians 12. The faith that, uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, we, we see Paul write, he says, uh, for you are saved by grace through faith. Now, that saving grace, that saving faith is different than the gift of faith. Now, what is the gift of faith? The gift of faith is a supernatural belief in God to do big things. Have you ever had a moment where you're just like, God, I don't know how this is going to work, but I believe you're going to provide. Or God, I, I, I believe you're going to do something that I can't even imagine, and, and, you're, and you're praying. Well, when you are praying those big, audacious, scary prayers that most people are raising an eyebrow, looking at you like there's something off, that is the gift of faith manifesting in your life. So you know what? You don't have to apologize when you begin to pray for big, crazy things, because that is the gift of faith the Spirit of God is using and, and, and displaying through your life, which for for me, that was a big thing because I feel like if there is any gift that I operate in more than others, it would be the gift of faith. When, when I went to the elders, my first thing that I told them as five years ago when I became pastor, I said this, I believe God is challenging us as a church to double the amount of money that we give to missions. And they looked at me like I was crazy because they're like, pastor, we know you're the new pastor, we support you, we believe in you, but God has called us to kind of, uh, not, not, to, not to weigh down your dreams or your ambitions, but to, to be the, the word of wisdom, right? And, and I'm like, I, I see that role, I see that responsibility, but I really feel like God is calling us, he's challenging us to double the amount of money we're giving to missions. And they're like, well, let's look at the finances. Last year, we didn't do so hot. We ended 10 months uh, in the red. It was, it was a really, really difficult year. This was way back, like six years ago. And I told him, I was like, but I still feel God is trying to challenge our faith and he wants us to, to double the amount of money that we've given to missions. And the, the elders, being good elders that they were, they're like, pastor, well, if you feel this is, the, the, this is from the Lord, then, then we're gonna trust you in this. And I'm like, no, no, this is us. We're doing this together. So I casted the vision. We doubled that year the amount of money that we sent to missions. And can I tell you what happened? The Lord rewarded our faithfulness the next year by doubling the amount of, of money that we were, about, we were able to put into savings. We doubled our missions and the Lord doubled the income and tithes and offering in this church. God did a miracle 
So that moment where I stepped out, I could have been like, oh no, that's silly. That's, that's, that's not the spirit of the Lord. He wants us to be frugal in this season. And instead, the Lord rewarded our faith and did a miraculous work in this church. That is the gift of faith, to pray for it. Uh, supernatural, powerful things. Now, when I look at the gifts of the Spirit, uh, has anyone in this place ever taken the, the five love languages test? Uh, I think it's Gary Chapman. Yeah, uh, I have all gifts of the Spirit. I mean, I, mean I, have all, I have all five love languages. I'm fully convinced, like there is not one. Every time I take it, it's just like, I'm pretty much in the middle. I love the gifts of gifts. I love, to, man, words of affirmation all day. Give me them, right? Uh, uh, the, 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 uh, the gift of physical touch, give me all the hugs. Like I tell my wife all the time, I'm all the gifts. I, I, I love them all. Give me all the gifts, right? Uh, 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 what's the other one? Uh, time, like quality time. Yeah, absolutely. I love all of the gifts. So um, there is, however, my favorite, I would say, is probably receiving gifts. And my wife found out how bad it was when she was recently in my office and uh, currently going through a remodel. Like my office is a storage space and eventually we're gonna redesign it and actually make it into an office. But my wife was going through all of my drawers recently uh, and, and Lisa, my, my sister-in-law, they were going through all of the drawers in my office and they realized that I'm a, I'm a hoarder. And... Uh, they're going through and they're like, why do you still have this wrapper? And I'm like, Katie, that was the wrapper from this. And like this gum wrapper was that. And this is what that means. And this is that sentimental value. Like I just, I just ascribe sentimental value to like every single thing that I've ever been given. So like every car that I've ever had, I've re, I hold on to it. Every, every little gift that someone makes, I, I hold on to it. Like I just have tons of, like I'm a hoarder. And my wife's spiritual gift is uh, uh, decluttering. Like that is, that is her spiritual gift. So she brings in a garbage can, her and my sister-in-law, Lisa, they're like, we're just going to clean your office. And they, I came back and it was like all gone and I'm crying. I'm like, no, you, you threw away all this. And, and in there, there was a gift that I really loved. There was like a, uh, it was kind of like a Chia pet. Uh, it was like a statue. And, and uh, they're like, why, why do you need this? Like, why, why do you need this? And, and, and I said, I was like, well, you don't understand. When I was a youth pastor, we used to have a white elephant gift exchange. And every single year, somebody would give this Chia pet. And I always wanted the Chia pet, but it was always stolen from me. Every single year. So finally, like four years in, I was able to, to steal the Chia Pet from somebody and I was able to hold on to it. And now you threw it away and I don't have a Chia Pet and I've always wanted a Chia Pet, right? So, so I believe, like in White Elephant Gifts Exchanges, I believe that sometimes the gift of faith that God gives us can be stolen from us. Not through the devil coming in and stealing the faith, but by attitudes that we carry that sometimes we can allow the gift of faith to be stolen from us through the attitudes that we hold. Um, there are four faith-stealing attitudes in, in our time together, our remaining time. I kind of want to just talk about four faith-stealing attitudes. The first one is this, the attitude of the realist. The realist. Everybody do this, realist. That means... It's, it's not, like, like there's some sort of sarcasm there, like, like not, not the realist, not a real realist, right? Uh, what, what is a realist? A realist is someone, is a person who accepts a situation and is prepared to deal with it accordingly. That, that is the definition of a realist. Someone who looks at a situation, who sets their emotions aside temporarily and says, here is the issue, this is the way out. 
from that, from that issue, right? Uh, I, I, I love realists. You guys are awesome. Uh, my doctors are realists. Hopefully everyone's doctors are realists where they're like, hey, this is the issue. This is how you get out of that. Uh, that, that is a, a, a necessary uh, personality trait and, and attitude that we need. However, I think sometimes we try to masquerade around the guise of a realist, but really we're just pessimistic and cynical. And I would say that the gift of faith is stolen when we try to masquerade around in a realist, but we're really just negative and cynical. What's, what, is, what, is, what is cynicism? Cynicism is this, the inclination to believe that people are secretly up to no good. You know, like, oh no, they, they're not trying to be that good. There's something else happening behind the scenes. All right, too often cynicism and pessimism sneak into our lives by hiding under the disguise of realism. What is a, a skeptic, well, what's a, or I'm sorry, what's a, a pessimist? A pessimist or someone who is, is a pes, or anything that's pessimism, I would say that's a tendency to see the worst aspects of things or believe that the worst thing will happen, a lack of hope or confidence in the future. Now these two faith killers show up when we allow our negative past experiences lead our decisions more than we allow the spirit of God to lead our decisions. One example of this is um, there is a, a phenomenal church in the Ozark area, James River Church. I don't know if you've ever been there. Uh, I love James River. I love uh, Dr. John, or Dr., almost Dr., Pastor John Lindell. He's a great pastor. And uh, I found out recently that he was originally a, a pastor in the state of Kansas. And uh, he was sharing this story one time where he tried to plant a church in the Kansas City area. I mean, you gotta understand, this pastor, John Lindell, I mean, his, his church is, uh, I think they have like 8,000 people and, and there's multiple campuses. They have one in Joplin, a couple in Springfield. On the Like it is, they literally are movers and shakers in their city. They are just doing phenomenal, powerful things in that city. But when he told us that he tried to plant a church in Kansas and that that church in Kansas City failed, it flopped, before he planted James River, it like blew my mind because I was thinking if I tried to plant a church and it failed, I probably wouldn't plant another one. But if he would have allowed his negative experience to lead his decisions and not the faith of God, we would never have seen James River as we now know it. The gift of faith allows you to look beyond your past experiences and to trust that God is still faithful and good. Because here's the thing, Pastor John Lindell, he is not the leader of James River, it's Jesus. So when Jesus told him to plant that church and he stepped out in faith, he just simply said, I will be faithful to that. But imagine if he would have said no. Imagine if he would have been led by pessimism or cynicism, and he would have been masquerading around in a realist mindset. He would have never seen the power of God. So today I believe that there's many of us in this place who have kept the gift of faith at an arm's length because we are allowing ourselves to embrace the negativity and the negative experiences of our past. Man, friend, it's time to change that. It's time to embrace faith. Where do we see this in scripture? Uh, well, there is a, you know, I'll say this, there is a time and a place for realists, but that time is never tragedy. 
if somebody is walking through a tragic moment and experience, don't be like, hey, I'm just going to be a realist. This stinks. <laughs> like, like, don't be that person, okay? Um, th- there is a time and place for a realist, but it's not in tragedy. And here we see it in John chapter 6, a moment where there was a tragedy, and we see one of two personality types. There is Philip, and there is Andrew. Philip is trying to be the realist, and Andrew is actually the person who is stepping out in faith. Let's read this portion in Scripture together in John 6, 1 through 9. After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd, other portions in Scripture, other Gospels say that there was 5,000 men. Now, if we were to go back there, the way that they numbered people, like if we were to take the numbers in here, we would call uh, any man who's married, any man, we would say that that is is an individual. So they would say there's probably 30 people in here, but really it's 30 men and then their families. This point in time, they said there was 5,000 men, but really 5,000 men, they had families. Let's just say the average family is, is a unit of four. So 5,000 times four, 20,000. We believe that there was 20,000 people that were following Jesus around. So a huge crowd, about 20,000, kept following Jesus wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed a hill, sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw that that huge crowd of people were coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? Now, he turned to Philip. He specifically looked at all of his 12, and he specifically looked at Philip. Look what the next verse says. For he was testing Philip. Testing Philip how? Testing his faith. He was testing Philip for he already knew what he was going to do. Jesus knew what Jesus was going to do. Jesus knew that he was going to multiply the food to feed the the 20,000 people there. But he went to Philip and said, hey, how can we get enough food to feed all these people? And look what Philip, the realist, had to say. Philip replied, even if we worked for months, Jesus, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Uh, actually, it says this, even if we were to save up half a year's wages, we wouldn't have enough money to feed this. If all of us disciples came together and said, we are going to set aside six months' worth of salary, that still would not be enough to feed these people. He was being a realist. But look what else happens in this story. Then Andrew. So we see Philip. He's like, no, this is, there's, no way, there's no way we can feed 20,000 people. Then Andrew Simon Peter's brother spoke up, and he's like, uh, so Jesus, I just found out there's a young boy here, and uh, he's got five barley loaves and two fish. Like, imagine, imagine going to Jesus when he's trying to find solutions, and you're like, uh, I, I got two Subway sandwiches and some Ritz crackers. Like, can, can, can this help? But I don't believe that Andrew was being timid here. I don't believe he was, he was being afraid here. I believe that he understood that Jesus could do miracles with what little we offer him. That he can do powerful things in faith, that he can do powerful things. And guess what happened in the story? Jesus took it, he blessed it, they put it in baskets, they had people sit down in groups of hundreds and fifties, and every single person was fed. And not just that, but at the end of the feast where everybody took uh, enough food to eat, they had 12 basketfuls left over. 
Now, I had some silly Bible teachers tell me at some point, uh, very liberal, they don't believe in the miraculous power of God. They said, well, the reason why, why there was so much left over is because um, you know, no, everybody was being kind and, and compassionate and saw that there was only two sandwiches and, and, or five sandwiches and, and two, two fish, and they just passed. They're like, oh, no, thank you. We're fine. Listen, that is not what happened. Every single person was fed, and they had leftovers. That is a miracle that we see in Scripture where Jesus multiplied the food with our lack. He did powerful things. Now, why, how and why did Andrew have the faith to believe Jesus could do that? Because he didn't struggle from the second attitude I want to bring up, and it's this. The second thief killer or or faith thief or faith stealer that we have, this horrible attitude is the attitude of spiritual amnesia. Spiritual amnesia. What's, what's amnesia? Amnesia means memory loss. I believe some of us need to develop, all of us need to develop a better way of recalling the things God has done in our pasts. The times when he's been faithful. And when you forget to remember what God has done, you are allowing faith to be stolen from you. So often, We'll walk through circumstances and situations and we're frantic, but what God desires of us is to take a step back and say, wait, God was faithful back then. If he did this, 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 and this, he's gonna be faithful here. But we struggle from spiritual amnesia. You know who did struggle from spiritual amnesia? Philip, when he yelled at God and said, God, Jesus, there's no way we can feed these 20,000 people, but you know who didn't have spiritual amnesia? Andrew. How? Because right before this story, Literally, moments before, the day before we saw them in this place where there was a need to feed 20,000 people, we see Jesus perform another miracle that Andrew seemed to realize. In Mark's gospel, it's recorded for us. In Mark chapter 4, verse 35 through 41, we see this happen. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. Let's go to the other side of the lake. It was Jesus' plan. Notice this. It was Jesus' plan to go to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and they started out leaving the crowds that were following him behind them, although other boats were following. But soon a fierce storm came up on the Sea of Galilee. A a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. I don't know if you have ever been in a bad storm uh, on a boat. It is terrifying. There was one time where my family and I were uh, in Branson and we rented a pontoon, and I, I wish I had the video still. It's somewhere. I'll have to show it. To, I'll put it on Facebook, maybe. But there was a, a, a point where we were out there on a boat, and a storm came in out of nowhere. And the boat is rocking. Everybody on the boat is screaming and going crazy. Uh, Pastor Justin jumps over the side of the boat. He's like, I'm swimming to shore. Like, he's, everyone's just going nuts. Uh, it, it's scary. And this is what's happening in this boat, like it is, it is rocking and shaking. Even water was filling into the sides. So, the, so look what the Bible says in verse 38. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. If there's ever a moment where Jesus is sleeping, it's okay to be asleep, right? Like, like you can relax. So the disciples wake him up shouting, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? I mean, they're being real with Jesus. Jesus, we're about to drown and you're over here taking a fiver in the back of the boat. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence, be still. And suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Fear and a lack of faith go hand in hand. 
Remember, it was Jesus' plan to go to the other side of the ship. And even though that while it was Jesus' plan, storms came, there is no need to be afraid. If Jesus has a plan for your life and he tells you, I want you to accomplish this, and while you are accomplishing this, things are arising and storms are coming, you can be guaranteed that Jesus has never allowed any of his plans to falter or fail. That if he is the one who has given you the plan, he will see it through. So the fear that they were going through, the the, the, the tumultuous experience that they were having, they should have just been able to sit up and say, if Jesus is asleep, I can relax. This storm is not going to allow anything to happen. But look what happened. Jesus rebuked the wind, he rebuked the, the waves, and everything went back to peace. Now this is why, this moment is why Andrew had the faith to go to Jesus and say, here's two fish and five loaves. Do a miracle, Jesus. He didn't have spiritual amnesia. He recalled the faithfulness of Christ. I don't know what storms you're facing. I don't know what what experiences you're having along the the, the path that God has for your life. But can can I just challenge you to recall the faithfulness of Jesus? to hold on to the things that he's accomplished in the past and saw you through and use those as, as reminders, of, as signposts to say, if God did that, he's gonna handle this issue. He'll take care of me here. That is what builds our faith. Another one, a third attitude is this, the attitude of the scaredy cat. Everybody say scaredy cat. The attitude of the scaredy cat. When we're, when we're constantly allowing fear to, to dictate every single decision that we make, I'm convinced of this. The only reason why we are afraid of situations that God leads us through is because we have lost sight of his love for us. When we lose sight of God's love for us, fear comes in and invades. That's the way the enemy works. Where there is no love, fear will follow. Where there is love, fear is casted out. We see John write about this in 1 John chapter 4. Now remember, John was an apostle. So he saw all of the miracles that we just talked about. And look what he writes to the church. He says this, and we have come to know and believe that the love that God has for us, God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God and God in him. In this way, love has been perfected among us so that we may have confidence, confidence on the day of judgment. For in this world, we are just like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out Fear, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. The one who fears has not been perfected in love. And we love because he first loved us. What is John saying here? He's saying when there is fear in your life, you need to be reminded once again of the love of Christ that has gripped us. That we are, when we are making decisions or not making decisions because of fear, we are clouding our judgment. And we need to be reminded again of the love that Jesus has for us. That we need to allow our experiences to be determined by what we've experienced, which is the love of Jesus. Listen, I think some of us hide our fear for the future by staying in the past. I mean, as I was reading this, I felt like the Lord told me to write this down. I think some of us are too afraid to step into the next journey God has for you. So instead of taking that step of faith 
Instead, you find it easy to be a person who remembers and lives off of the experiences that God did in the past. I mean, do you, do you, ever, do you ever see the person who is now a grown man still talking about their high school football career? And I believe sometimes as Christians, we can fall into this category where instead of taking that new step of faith and allowing God to do new things in our lives, we still bring up the things that God did in the past and hopefully that's enough for us to just live off of. But I believe if you're here this morning, God desires to do new things in your life. He desires to use you in ways that you, I mean, that, that pale in comparison to what happened in the past. Can I just say this? There is no room for nostalgia in this church. We don't live off of the things that God did in the past. We recall them and we thank the Lord for them, but we are always looking for what God is doing next. We honor the past, but we don't stay in the past. We applaud what the Lord did in the past, but we all move forward and we say, Lord, what are you doing now? Nostalgia is just fear of God's faithfulness for the future. So if you are living in nostalgia, just like, oh, those were some glory years, those were the, the good old days. No, 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 the good old days are to come because that is what our God does. He's constantly caring, constantly improving our situation. Nostalgia has no room. Nostalgia is just fear of the future. So we continue to move forward. What is it in your life that you're still holding on to, propping up, saying, oh, that was a glory year? God's desire this morning is for you to say, Lord, there is something next. There's something you're gonna use me in to do powerful things. Yes, we honor that and we celebrate what you did in the past. We never take that for granted. We appreciate that. We love that. But Lord, what are you doing now? And the fourth and final attitude that is a faith stealer is the isolationist. Everybody say isolation. That means to be alone. To be alone. I think sometimes some of us force ourselves out of the presence of God we isolate ourselves from God. Now, sometimes it's good to be alone, but I believe when you force yourself from being into relationship with God, that is not, that's not good, that's isolation. And I believe that there is an attitude that God desires to kill that is stealing our faith, and it is that, that the feeling that you need to isolate yourself from God, that, that God does not want you to come into his presence, that, that you've committed too many sins and that, that you have to continue to work your way. And when, once you've done enough good things, you can come back. He'll, he'll let you back into the house. That is not the heart of God. There's no amount of work that you can do to be brought back into the household of God. It's simply humbling yourself, asking for his forgiveness, and believing that he loves you and accepts you and welcomes you back in. Don't isolate yourself from God. In fact, he is the one who wants to give you big dreams and big ambitions, but you have isolated yourself from his presence. Romans 10, 17 says this. How do we, how do we fight that back? Well, look at this. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. How do you build your faith? How are, gonna, how are we gonna operate in the gift of faith in this church? It starts by being in the presence of God. It starts by going into his word because literally that is how it is built. Faith is built from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. I would say it this way, that the level of your faith is directly tied to the frequency you hear God's word. That person in your life who has 
a, a big faith that believes that God can do powerful things, I promise you it's because they're spending time in the presence of God. That the only reason why they have that big faith is because they frequently hear how much God protects them, how much God loves them, how much God cares for them, how big God is. And, and the people that have small faith, it's because they're not reminded of God's love, of God's faithfulness. So if you want someone to have, if you want to be someone who has big faith, get in the presence of God. Don't isolate yourself no longer. Stop believing the lies of the enemy that say you aren't welcome in his presence. No, he has done everything to make you be able to come into his presence on the cross through Jesus. But we also isolate ourselves from others. I believe sometimes we, we operate with this idea that, that we don't need each other, that it's my personal relationship with Jesus. Can I tell you this? Your faith will grow when you have people in your life who are holding you accountable, who are loving you, who are reminding you, and you need to be in a community group. You need to go to the men's breakfast. You need to be at MWC sisterhood events. When we live in community with people, our faith begins to grow. So this morning, I just want to take some time and just be honest and real with the Lord. I believe that he wants to grow our faith this morning, that he wants us to operate under the power of the Holy Spirit, that he wants to give us the gift of faith. And this morning, there are four attitudes that we have to just wrestle with and allow the Spirit to identify in our lives that if we have that attitude, we need to tell it there is no room for it in our life. Let's go ahead and bow our heads and let's just reflect in these couple of moments. Friend, which, which attitude or which attitudes are you operating in currently? Are you guilty of operating under the attitude of what we have called the realist? The person who is pretending to be a realist, but really they're allowing pessimism to lead their life or they're being led by the negative experiences so, so faith has no space because it's, it doesn't line up with where God is leading. Do we need to rebuke the realist attitude in our lives? Or maybe it's the attitude of spiritual amnesia. Maybe you're not recalling the amount of times that God has been faithful. Or maybe it's the, the attitude of the scaredy cat, the person who is just afraid to take steps. And instead, they need to be reminded of the faithfulness and love of God. We need to be reminded that the that perfect love casts out all fear and it's the love of Christ that is perfect. Or maybe it's the isolationist. The attitude of someone saying, I, I don't belong in the presence of God. He doesn't, he doesn't want me. Or there, there's no one that will embrace me or live in community with me. Friends, we need to rebuke those attitudes, those tendencies, those behaviors, and in their place, we need to say we're gonna be people who remember the faithfulness of God, who are gripped by the love of Jesus. 
people who are actual realists, not pessimists, not cynics, and vow to be individuals that will not isolate ourselves from God or from others, but joyously run into his presence, joyously come and be a part of community. So here's what I wanna do as we stay in this atmosphere. We're gonna worship here in a second, but as we do, I wanna ask for some of the pastors and elders to come forward because I believe that this morning God wants to do miracles. That there are issues that you are facing in your life where you need God to do something big and powerful. And I want us to have a moment tonight or this evening where we just feel the freedom to pray for those things. That if you're here and maybe you need a miracle in your family, you need God to do something powerful, you need God to supernaturally change the laws or temporarily change the laws of physics, for his glory and for our good. I want to pray for those things this morning. So staff, if you guys want to come up, elders and pastors, if you guys want to join us, I'm just going to pray. And as I do, as soon as I'm done, Bethany's going to start singing. And if there's anything you want to pray for, man, we'd be happy to pray with you. We're going to pray in faith, believing that God will do miracles. I presented dozens of of examples where God did great things. And you know, there were some times where I tried to talk myself, kind of like Bob praying for my car. I tried to talk myself out of that, but I'm so glad that I did. I was able to see the power of God. And since that moment, you know how, how many times I've been inclined to pray for other small things? In fact, I'll say even this. The reason why I felt encouraged to pray for Rihanna's situation or the hairstylist situation was because I saw the faithfulness of God in my life, in my car situation. So friend, what little thing or what big thing do you need God to do a miracle in? I'm believing that today we will see miracles because he's good, he loves us, and he loves to bring good gifts for his children, amen? amen? Let's worship the Lord, let's pray. And that wraps up today's message, but we've got more on the way, so be sure to subscribe so you won't miss a future podcast. You belong here, so we encourage you to get connected You can find us on social media or online at mwcwichita.com. That's mwcwichita.com. Thanks again for listening. I'll see you next week.